Welcome to the Weathervane Podcast. I'm Brian McTeer from Weathervane Music, and I'm here with Peter English. You may remember Peter as the producer of Shaking Through, among the other many other roles he played here from 2010 through 2014. How you doing, Peter? I'm good, man. It's good to see you. Uh, I uh, just a little bit of history. After about four years, I left Weathervane at the end of last year. I've been doing a bunch of other stuff, uh, including producing my own podcast which is called The Long Play, and it'll be out in the fall of 2015. Now, this is not that, This right? is That's right. This is not that. Um, the Weather Vane podcast was a pet project of mine that we were never really able to kind of get off the ground while I was at, at uh, Weather Vane. And so we went back in uh, after I left, and we found some really cool stuff. And so our editor, Matt Poyer, uh, put a bunch of stuff together, and we want to release them to you. And so these conversations were recorded uh, over the course of about 2014, uh, and they're really great conversations about the ways that recording artists and engineers improve and sustain their craft. Which is why we're sharing these with the Weathering community now, right? Because mm-hmm. in the end, I think that's a really accurate description of many of the people out there listening to, to yeah. this. And, and even for those not aspiring to make music, for really for any music fan, these are conversations that can help us all understand and appreciate music better by bringing the creative process to light. Yeah, they're cool conversations. Um, so today we're going to be talking with Adam Grandusiel, who's the frontman, songwriter, and producer of The War on Drugs. Uh, these guys have had a crazy meteoric rise since we record, even since we recorded this interview uh, because their third album, Lost in the Dream, which was released in March of 2014, exploded. Uh, it was on every best of list for That's 2014. Brian, why is this conversation interesting? Why do you like it? Well, I, I think, you know, for, for one thing, longtime fans of Shaking Through will remember Adam uh, because he curated and produced the Pearling Hiss Shaking Through episode. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also, you know, made a guest appearance on the Torres episode with Sharon Bennett. And so he's, he's somebody people will know. Uh, and, and maybe watching back now will realize that he's gone on to do Humongous things, Huge you know, things, yeah. to, to those of us here in Philadelphia, you know, the Warren drugs have been a prime example of creative endurance. Uh, Adam's known to take years on a record, uh, something I never advocate no, for, <laughs> but, but even with people like me saying that that's not the way to do things, uh, he's stuck it out and whatever he's doing, it's paying off now. So, yeah. um, so yeah. yeah. Let's give it. Let's give a listen. Um, so Adam, what? So so what I'm curious about. There's sort of two sides of things. There's there's what you use, mm-hmm. like or what you're into, or what you have, and whether that's changed over time, and then whether how that affects your process and what you go through. So I sort of want to start with like you said. You just mentioned your listening environment. What right. is what is that? Well, on the Slave Ambient album, I remember I had a pair of just st- st- um, stereo speakers yeah. from the 70s or 80s. Yeah. And the, the, uh, the big speaker, the woofer, yeah. was ripped and totally like missing half of it. Yeah. <laughs> but those mixes actually translated amazingly <laughs> yeah. well yeah. to yeah. the car, you know? Well, if it works, it works, right? I guess, yeah. I yeah. mean, that's, you know, 
obviously not making critical decisions, but I mean, mostly what I would use my home studio for was to like, cause on all, all the albums, all the songs, they're all built up on those versions that start at home. I mean, I've tried to, to start from scratch, you know, like demo a song at home and then show it to the band and practice it and, and then do it in the studio, but it never really. Even on the new record? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, it never really, it's not like it doesn't do it for me. It's just like, I feel like I get so connected to that, in, that initial moment, right. you know, where it's not even like something I have to go and cut up. Like it's usually like a pretty final idea. Right. Maybe not completely honed, but enough of it's there. Like enough of a structure is there. Right. Where I get really attached to whatever it is on there. So that's kind of what I use for my, my home right. studio for. And I just, I got a one inch 16-track um, tape machine that Minor okay. Street has back in... The MS-16. The MS-16. Yeah, I got that in 2007. Okay. It's and, a nice um, tape machine. I love it. And like like the very speed function's been like a big thing for me because, you know, yeah, early years ago, I was doing a lot more stuff, inviting friends over recording, let's say, two drummers at once, like Mike Zangie and Tommy Bendel once, you know, like yeah. two drummers playing in my living room, maybe four mics. You know, I didn't have that much yeah. stuff, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and just getting sounds to tape so that I could, like... And I wasn't w too concerned with, like, a kick sound. I was just kind of recording the, the ambient thing. space of the room yeah. with two drummers playing. Yeah. Getting it on tape, maybe 10 minutes worth, and then kind of, like, hooking up my sampler to either an aux or to the main outputs. Right. And listening and maybe like finding a cool section where they were like locked in and then sampling like and getting a loop out of that and, and you then dumping that back down and slowing it down, you know? You didn't yeah. have you didn't have Pro Tools. So when you say a sampler, you were literally Yeah, I had my four my Roland four oh four. Right. The right. original silver one, not the dark gray one. I have the dark gray one now. I don't like it as much. But yeah. there's like a latency when you try to sample. Yeah. But um but so that's that tape machine became like like it wasn't like uh, I was trying to do like an analog process, but that's kind of a thing that, it, you know, when I had money to buy something, I was like, I want to buy this tape machine because. You feel like you're buying something real. I just felt like it was, I had been using like a digital eight track, uh, like a Boss BR8 running off zip disks. And I was like, oh, <laughs> should I buy a tape machine or should I buy the upgrade that lets me use 250 megabyte disks? You know what I mean? It was just like, and I was mixing down yeah. to mini disks. So the tape machine just felt like, you know, that's when Secretly Canadian was going to put out the first record. So I got a, right. little, a little cash and I was like, let me just blow it on this tape machine. So, um, but it's been like such a important part of, I think, how I um, like to write and stuff. It's, and It's linear. That's the thing that I think people can't really identify with most with the tape machine is like, it's, it's a timeline. Yeah. It, it has to be a timeline. You can't. You can't mess with the timeline. You can't right. decide like, oh, I want the, this part to go in the beginning and this part to go at the end. And right. You have to just lay it down a certain way. Yeah, you know? and I think over the years, people too have always, like they ask sometimes like why the songs are so long. And I don't really want to get, I don't like to get into it because if they're not familiar with like the act of recording, but you know, when you have it, when you're going to work on a song, you have a, like 80% of an idea, you start with a drum machine just so everything can kind of lock in. And also, you know, eventually you're going to end up in Pro Tools. Right. And right, maybe just so put not? it down yeah. for 10 minutes, you know? And that's and then you kind of, you're in that world. You're not thinking like, oh, I'll just sample this and then we can make it however long we want. 
You just put it down so that you have enough time to let an idea gestate. And- well, you do the opposite of what a lot of people do now, which is that they grab a loop, they grab four, eight, 16 bars. Right. And they say, you know what? We'll and they just, build it off that. Yeah, we'll just, you know, let's just have this repeat and repeat. You say, I'm going to go way too far. Right. Find the best stuff and actually, like, go in reverse and, and cull it down. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I would say you have a hard time calling it down sometimes. You know, it's not, it's not like you ever turn 12 minute songs into, like, two minutes and no, not at seconds. All. No. You know what I mean? It's like the, the Adam will pull out. Four minutes of it, maybe. Yeah. And then if it, that's still not working, he'll do what he's famous for, which is ditch it and start right. over. <laughs> ditch it and start over, exactly. Actually, which is fun, I, too. I, have a, I mean, my question, my question for you is, having seen you work and having worked with you, um, it always looks like you're having a great time when you're recording. Yeah. I love recording. So when comes the time that you hate it? Because anytime I'm watching you work on something, yeah. you're loving what you're getting. Yeah. And you're diving right back in and being like, I want to do it again. I want to do it again. And it's not like, I, from my perspective, I don't see a guy who wants to do it again because he's not achieving something. I see a guy who wants to do it again because he is having a great time doing it. You're, right. You're zoning it. You're so, in the zone. So where does the part come where you eventually scrap things? Um, Which is almost everything for Adam. <laughs> I scrap things when I feel like I lost sight of what I was, what about the song was, what I was identifying with right. uh, leading up to the point that I decided to ditch it. Huh. Um, and sometimes I'll ditch something and like ditch it or like forget about it. And then like sometimes a song can kind of get ruined by just experience. Like even a song on the new album, I demoed it at home and it was actually kind of full I did a lot of stuff on it at home. What's the song? Lost in the Dream. Okay. And then I, you know, I gave, I, I'd given a demo disc to all the, everyone in the band. And then we went and we tried to record it live and it was just so different. It's like that thing where when in the moment you do something like six times mm-hmm. because you're not really thinking about it. You're just like playing the chords and you do it six times, but then you get together with a band and the band's like, Cool, all right, so let's just do that section four and then maybe yeah. eight, you know? And those are the kind of things that start to change. And you're like, all right, cool, but you don't really remember that what makes it special is that it does it, the solo is seven times and not right. just four, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. And so I think sometimes when that kind of stuff starts happening with songs is where I start, where I, where I listen to the song and it doesn't feel like me yeah. is where I usually am like, oh, I got to step back and like not work on this for a few months or re-record it entirely. Or go back to the four-track demo. Right. Well, I mean, it, it, what I hear from, from what you're talking about is, like, there's something about, like, the moment of conception that's, like, that's pure. And that's, that's six times that time. Or that's seven. Or that's some weird note that I didn't expect or some zone that I'm in. And if you lose that and you go into, like, the conventions of song structure, which is, like, okay, great. Well, then it's got to be four or four bars, eight bars, verse, chorus, bridge, like, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. If you lose that, that's not... You and so you're like trying, and I see that when you perform or when you're in the studio, you're recording stuff like you're just kind of zeroing in on, like the, I it's like it's it's like I can't even describe it quite, but you're like trying to get that exact moment and just like the purity of that moment where it just happens. Yeah, and you're not thinking or about trying it. to at least be aware that that's like something that's the heart of the song, right. you know? Right. What happens? You do you just delete stuff? Do you when you say you scrap it? Do you put it aside, or are you like done, never touching this again? I'm just I just throw like it out. I guess save as and then like move on. Yeah, you know, right? Yeah, like um, run a usually run a mix, 
Yeah. And then let's move on. And then, and then that's usually, it's the time in between sessions of me, like being in, alone in my house, driving around, uh, driving around, listening to like, you know, a stack of CDRs from rough mixes I did at home. You know what I mean? Like, of like, oh, that's, you know, forgetting about your, like, even as connected as you were to that demo for four months, and then you record it live with the band, and then the song is just tarnished because you're like, oh, that's, I guess that's not going to work. But then you remember, you're like, oh, wait, you hear that, you're like, I forgot that I actually had so much already on this demo. Yeah. I was like, this sounds beautiful. And maybe it's just hindsight. Maybe it's just right because you don't, because you kind of saw about the things about the song you don't like, then you hear the original idea, and you're like, oh. It's not so much that you're chasing something as much as you don't know you like it until you dislike it. And then you hear it again and you're like, I do like this. It's yeah. just, I'm missing, here's what I'm, what I'm not hearing in this other version. So it's not like a perfectionist thing, I think, as much as like um, not, really str- not really going for like um, style, like not really trying to make any kind of recording as much as trying to like, you know, embellish those sweet little moments where you're like alone or where your friends are, you know, wherever, you know, where things are sounding nice. I mean, would you say, well, do you like the new record? Yeah, I do. Oh, really? I really do. Oh, good. Yeah, I really do. I mean, it was, uh, the last couple months. Was there ever a point where you hated it? Oh, I, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't ever hate it. Right. And I, I didn't ever hated it. I, um, I saw so much potential for it. I kept seeing, like, even in mixing, like, I kept thinking of where songs could go. And I just, and then for a while I was focused on little things. Um, I was excited by the record. I was also frightened by it. What do you mean? I I don't know. I I was like, um, it sounds dark. I mean, it sounds weird, but it almost felt like it could have been like a, like a, I don't know. I mean, a final statement or something. If you start thinking yeah. bad oh, thoughts sure. and you're like, oh my God, is this like, is this how I'm going to go out? And it's just weird. It's like an infinity yeah. loop of thoughts, but yeah, you start thinking about certain things in your life, not just like about the record, but when the record's really all you have, yeah. you start thinking of it so personally that you start thinking of it in like, yeah. rock myth or yourself in the in the in the face of all that and I started getting weird I, f- I started getting scared that what if I died tomorrow I didn't get to finish this you know or, or I know that's it, like a, I know those like grand thoughts but no no it was that, really I mean I love making music I truly love recording like so much like that's why I spend a year sometimes make if not more making stuff because there's nothing better than like working on a song having it sound great, and then making, like, some bold decisions that, like, transform it. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, I love that so much. Right. Like, I love that we muted the drums. And sometimes there's there's things where people are like, oh, man, but that sounds so good. I'm like, everything sounds good. Yeah. You spent a year working on this all over the place, and you spent a shitload of money on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, it all sounds good. Like, right. it's now it's about, like, making it fun and, like, yeah. and I just love, I love having a little idea and, and then seeing it blossom into something totally different. But then you get that there's, there's like periods of paranoia where you're like, if this is the final statement, you know, of right. Adam. Like, right. I mean, and that's, I know, I mean, you know. I, I, listen, I. You can get I, killed walking your doggy, you know, but. Yeah, but, but. It, it, hap- <laughs> it happens. No, I, I, I think more people should be making music 
not just to like pass the time. I mean, really to leave something behind. I mean, I, I, I think about that all the time. Right. I, I'm constantly thinking of anything I do in terms of like legacy yeah. stuff. You know, and I, don't, I think that's a. Uh, it's beautiful. I think it is. I th- you know I think that's what you know. I think art exists for that reason. Yeah. Or at least, I don't know. I mean, I'm personally just inspired by like great artists, you know, or like the modernist idea, like even paint, like American painters or, you know, that guy just kind of losing himself in his work and, you know. Yeah. I love that. I always wanted to be that ever since I was a kid. I didn't know if it was music or painting or art or photography. I just wanted to do that, you know. I just wanted to lose myself in something. And as I kept working on music, it became clear that music was the one thing that I was, that I had that, and it wasn't always the same level of drive, but it was the one thing I just kept coming back to as like, you know, I would always play guitar at night. I would always wake up and play right. the piano, you know? Right. Yeah, I can empathize with that. And you, you, I mean, you know you're tapped into something. Like, you know it works for you. I guess. I mean, personally, I, I also, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. Like, there's just a lot of self-doubt sometimes. Well, with, no, but you I, know, I guess I don't mean like, you know, you're an all-star at it, you know, like you're great. It's like, I mean that like, that's the tool you can reach into something larger with, that you can speak to something larger with. Do yeah. You, do you know you what try, I mean? Like, yeah. Cause totally. everyone has their own medium that, that they connect with. Right. They say like, you know, you know what? Like I am never going to be a modern dancer or a dancer. Right. Like that is not a medium that I can, I feel like tap into something bigger with. I feel like with music you know? for me, it's like, I can just like do the best I can and like, I can put it out there and, and I can see some beauty in it, you know, like with painting, I was never a very good painter. I felt like yeah. I would just like put, if I was done with something, I'd put it up on the wall, but I was like, I'm not really, I don't, I'm not good at painting. Right. You know what I mean? Like this is like so many what it, yeah. errors, but music, I don't see those errors in the same way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So totally. Um, yeah. Uh, recording, you know, it's recording is super most fun thing in the world. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so I was, Nate and I were talking and I was mentioning that, that we were all going to hang out today. Yeah. And he was saying, I was like, what would you ask him? Like, if you were in the situation, if you were in my situation, what you would ask, what you would, what would you ask Adam? Where's my money? Just kidding. <laughs> That's exactly. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> um, I, I'm saying this whole thing because um, it made me curious. He said, so I, he's like, I work hard. Adam works hard. That's clear. What is Adam working on that maybe I'm not working on? Or what's, like, what's Adam doing that I'm not? You know, like what, what, and I don't even, you can take that in so many different ways. But, you know, things in some ways are clicking for you. I mean, you do, you know, you make your money as a musician, you get to tour around. Like, what are you attributing that work to? Do you look at it as luck? Do you feel like you concentrated on the right things? I don't know. I mean, you not think about that. I do think about it. I think about how fortunate I am. Yeah. That's what I usually just focus on. Right. Um, There's luck in every, I mean, there's luck in every profession, you know? I mean, you can open up the best store on the wrong block, you know? Yeah. Um, You can open up the worst store on the best block. Right. Um, I feel like for me personally, I never, I always loved playing music. Yeah. And then, I got into recording and it was always this very personal thing. I was never interested in like pursuing it as a career. 
Um, and I'll be honest when I said it was pretty much handed to me in the sense that when I moved to Philadelphia, my move to Philadelphia, I was like thinking about wanting to when cro- was that? cross, that was 2003, like wanting to cross a bridge in my life where I was like, I really want to do music, but I'm tired of just like, just using this digital eight track in my bedroom all the time, making weird guitar soundscapes. Like I want to like play with more people or maybe find, start sharing my music with, with people and playing along and, mm-hmm. And I moved here kind of with that intention, not to start a band or not to start the war on drugs or not to like make a record. It was just like more of a personal journey of wanting to like yeah. be more outward with things. And then, you know, and I fell in with a great bunch of people super randomly and ended up doing a lot more music and then started getting a little more confidence to yeah. share my songs with people. And some songs like, like Arms Like Boulders, that was on the first, that first song, on the first record right. was a song I'd written you know, old school style, like on, you know, as like a poem or whatever you want to call it with music. And I think I typed it up and I was playing some songs with people and someone was like, oh, what's this song? I was like, oh, that's like some old song I wrote like three years ago. It's whatever. Like play it for me. And I played it on the acoustic. Yeah, it's incredible, you know? And that was kind of like the other side. That was the music I was writing by myself. Right. And then I was trying to, I was thinking that, oh, well, if I'm going to play music with people, I have to be in this band and we have to like jam in a room and come up with ideas. and We have to be the three musketeers. Right. And like you like, <laughs> you know, and I was trying to do this other thing when it just became clear with people that I was playing with and meeting that they were responding to stuff that I kind of thought was more just like the stuff I would do by myself. Right. And so it kind of like was like, all right. And I started to just have a little bit more faith, I guess, in my instinct. Right. Or just a little bit more faith in, in the sh- idea of sharing the music, you know? Right. And, um, and I always kept, you know, and then 2007 was when, you know, they heard two songs and they really wanted to, you know, sign the, and sign the band. And they heard the first two songs from the record were the only two songs they really heard. How, that was Chris and Ben? Mostly Ben. Ben. How'd that get around to them? Because I'd recorded them with the Cobbs right. on yep. the Cobbs MM 1200, 1100. Did I mix that? I mixed Yeah, you mixed both Arms Like Boulders and... And um, taking the farm. Yeah, right. And, um, you know, I'd say, I didn't have any, I was just mixing them to like, mi- to, to do it. Like, I wanted to, to record songs it, yeah. to like, you know, we've been playing, like the band had kind of been playing, so I wanted to record these songs and I wanted to mix them because like, I don't know, that's what you do. You save up money and you mix a song, you know, you work overtime at work to save up money to mix it with Brian. Like that's right. the other half of the equation of like sending it out to people was not, I didn't even... I didn't even know who Secretly Canadian was. Right. I didn't know. Right. I didn't know like um, little record labels. You know, I, I didn't. I wasn't part of that world really. And like, and it kind of was handed to me in a beautiful way. I don't think like. I mean, I also had recorded a lot of stuff, oh, and I continued the conversation off. with them and sent them a lot of stuff, and right. and we became friendly. And it wasn't just like hearing these two songs and signing, but. I've always, I don't know, like, I definitely got lucky in that way, but I also had to, if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for that initial um, chance, then I wouldn't have kept going. And, like, the second record I kind of had to make in the face of, like, more people knowing about the band and not really, and then the last record the one I just made was the hardest one to make because it was really the first time 
it had really become a profession. And I didn't ever really, I'm grateful for it and I love doing what I do, but I never really, I, I felt weird because I never, like, I wasn't, we played a lot of festivals. I never like stood on the stage and we were playing these festivals. I never, I never had that feeling where I was like, oh man, like, this is all I've ever wanted. I made it. You know, I never, I've never had that feeling. Right. Because it's not truly, it's not something that I ever really thought of. Like, it's something I was, I guess on paper, I would have been like, oh, that'd be crazy. But it was being like a touring rock musician was so far outside of my, right. my frame of reference. I just wanted to like express myself in whatever yeah. I was doing, photography at first and then painting and but music really the whole time since I was like 13. Right. And I guess just given that little chance and I kind of had to like, I guess I've always kind of felt like I have to prove myself more because I know that I was, I got a little lucky and that, um, yeah. And that it isn't something that I feel comes through me. Like I don't, you know, I have to work really hard at like playing all the time and working on songs. I can't just sit down at a microphone and like, pick out like some beautiful song and finish it in a day, you know? I have to work hard at like working on an idea and refining it and knowing that it can be better or wanting a better performance out of my bandmates or right. knowing that the mix is whack or whatever, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting you talking about needing to, to prove yourself. I mean, like that door, if you don't want to walk through it, it just closes, you know what I mean? Like, so you do, you go for it, but I guess, so is that part of what was driving you of like, well, gosh, this is so amazing. Like, all right, they, they, like, the door's open, the bar's raised. Like, I got to hit it. I guess. Yeah. I guess. I think it was, um, it wasn't even, yeah, it was like, I didn't even think I really understood what it meant to have a record be released. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't even think it, I knew what it meant to, like, have a record deal or, it was just, it seemed at the time like there was so much, like, it was all passion. Like, it was all, like, all the time. Like, and that's, you know, I'll talk about Kurt there, too, because, like, yeah. like, we were each other's kind of right-hand man there for a long time. Like, that was, like, the goal. Like, Kurt had that goal that I never had. Like, just that, like, spark of, like, knew exactly what he wanted from music. Mm. Man, I and would never have guessed that. It was just, just from my perspective of, you know, like, right. it seemed like both of you guys were on this, like, awesome autopilot of, like... But see, I think, like, with someone like him, like, he knew exactly what he wanted, and he, and it was, the timing was beautiful, because I was, like, always there, down to do everything, you know, and, like, kind of follow him on that journey, and at the same time, I was on a journey of my own to, like, become more outward with music, so it was right. awesome to see to be close to somebody who knew what knew how to navigate through the BS of like little time stuff and knew how to navigate through like just what felt right, you know? And, Mm. um, and that, I mean, it was just an inspiration to be around. Right. To like also kind of like we were shooting, I think for different things for sure, but it was, none of us were like, it wasn't competitive, you know? Yeah. People might think it was, but it wasn't really competitive. It was like, like when it was like just pushing each other, all, all, like always like pushing each other. Like, um, what were you? If pushing he wasn't him always, with? I think I was pushing him 
because he was coming over all the time. We were recording like four nights a week at my house all the time. I feel like I was just, I was so available to, I was so down to do whatever, like yeah. tour, play all these shows, zone out on keyboards. You know, Kurt was married then too, so he wasn't too concerned with like, and we were like super social people, but he wasn't too concerned with like being out and meeting a bunch of people, you know? Yeah. And I was super down to just, I'll zone out on keyboards for a month. Yeah, you know? So my house was kind of this like musical place where you could just do anything. You could play amps really loud. You could smoke inside. You know what I mean? Every, you know, yeah. do whatever you want to do here. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was like pushing him to like see that little window in his life where it was like, oh man, now I have this guy that is right there with me, helping me f- see stuff and helping me record stuff. And he, Kurt would just have an idea in the guitar, and I would just like you'd be that guy that put the mic up and hit play on the tape machine, you know, or record. Yeah. And that would, you know, and a lot of those moments have ended up on albums and like, right. And that's sweet. You know, it's sweet to have someone like that. Who's just like a cheerleader, um, but also capable in his own way. So I think I was like helping him see that his window was still there. And I think inspired him to like be really outward and creative. Cause I think for him too, he was, you know, he was, he had just moved to Philly from Boston where he was, you know, living by himself and probably doing the similar thing I was doing in California, which was just pl- doing a lot of recording in his room, you know? Right. Um, and then seeing him know what he wanted business-wise, like business meaning like getting stuff released and wanting to take steps, that gave me the confidence to start sharing my ideas and my recordings with more people and to get them recorded and mixed, you know? Right. And like... Oh, this guy loves this song. Cool. Well, maybe I'll just uh, I'll just just mix it. You know, it'd be sweet. Right. Or oh, you know, I'm gonna work on this song for a week, like we worked on Kurt's song for a week. You know. Yeah. I'm gonna learn how to obsess over my own vision. You know. And um. So he's the one who taught that. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, I think it's an important thing. I mean, when I think about um, one of the things that I've enjoyed the most about this job and just about my life in general is talking to all the people that I really respect and admire and seeing that they, as much as I feel like I'm like, Oh my God, I'm not good enough at what I'm doing. I mean, gosh, we just, you know, we have the, the Torres episode that we're going to premiere on Saturday. And, uh, two days ago, Dave and I sat down with it, watched it, ripped it back apart. Right. Completely dismantled it and put it back together. It's great now, but I'm like, I'm, I have to push myself for that. And I have to, right. say, I have to say like, oh my God, this, is, this sucks. This is terrible. Like I'm, I'm fucking it up. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and to know that like that exists everywhere, that that's not a thing that's like, oh man. Like it, do, it, it, it eliminates this, the next step after I say, crap, this isn't good enough. I got to fix it to be like, crap, I'm not good enough. I got, you know, it's like, I got to like, Fuck, I'm, I'm a fuck up here. It's like, no, you know, this happens. When you make something, when you're working on something, when you're searching for a vision or you have a vision and you're searching to realize it, like, that's a, that's a, like, that's a tough place to be in. That's a, like, that there's, a, there's a struggle. There's a journey in there. And that, that happens to everybody, that everyone has this sort of like, crap, did I miss this? Which I got to go backwards. I got to go, I got to go research for this, you know? And yeah. so I, I, I really like hearing you talk about it. Because it just reminds me, it's like that is, I, I think, part of the process of making things, like trying to be authentic, trying to make something that's really excellent. I think that's, yeah, I think that's, you know, you should make it, I, you know, make it for yourself first, you know, yeah. and make it because you, like, you like making it. And um, 
And because the journey of getting there is just as fun as whatever payoff there might be. I, I also think that, like, truthfully, the, the anybody that I've ever seen that's, that has a unique, like, sound and or, like, whatever their music is unique has a completely self-customized, unique way of making music. Like, their process is different. You know, like... The, the weird the weird thing, maybe the negative thing about something like, you know, the ubiquity of like Pro Tools or Logic or all that stuff is that it steers everybody to make things exactly the same way. Right. And it's it's the people that, like you, luckily, the, you know, have like difficulty actually just falling in line and doing something the way other people have done it. Like literally not, not the end product, but... The, the steps along the way. Yeah. And that's why it's, un- that's why the war on drugs is unique music, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I fully believe that, you know, I fully believe that like it, if, if only like I knew when I was younger, like search out unique processes and everything else just falls in line, you yeah. know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And you get a little like uh, a little working method, you know, it's like anything like a writer, who's got to wake up every morning. You don't write a novel and just like, just pop it out. I mean, you got to wake up and, you know, all the great writers would always say they woke up and they'd write from 6 a.m. to 10 and then, you know, have some breakfast and then hit it again at 11 to 4. And it's hard work. You know, you have to find a rhythm and you have to like find out what works for you and like what, what is it about either the process of recording you love, what part makes you lose sight quickly of what you're doing, you know? Um, I, I love editing or like standing over someone's shoulder while they edit, you know? Right. And I don't, I never feel like I, I'm ever like, okay, I did way too much edits. Maybe because I'm not the one editing. Um, but like playlisting is something that like I'll do a million, I'll do like a bunch of takes and we'll, oh, we'll playlist them. Cool. We'll, we'll playlist them. We'll go Calm through them. them. We yeah. never go through them. I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe I'll remember like. Be like, in that third one, there was that one moment I remember that was sweet. But I'm not going to go comp a bunch of guitars together. I, to me, that is like, that's where I lose interest. I'm like, I, I don't know what's going on. Here. No, I, actually, that's, again, I, that goes back to what I was saying about you, me having seen you work. I can tell when you say, like, let me try another. It's not that you're searching for something or that you haven't arrived there. It's just that you just started doing it and it's fun. Right. It is just want to do it again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, just just sit on that couch for two hours. I want to do it again. Yeah, you know? Yeah, this is a sweet sound. Like, I mean, with what you played on Torres, we that's what I was. We ultimately we went th- back to the first take. Right, we did. That was the s- stereo slide guitar. Yeah, yeah, and we and might have fun. we might have edited it in like a little phrase of for some reason for sure. But um, it was largely, but it was what you. Came it was, with. and actually, to tell you the truth, I, I, I don't think we wasted time. I, we all loved watching you have a good time. Right. I mean, I, I love that. I, I think that like. You know, you work really hard in the studio as a producer to get pe- for, to help people get shit done. But that's not to like shut them down when they just start to have fun. Right, right. And part part of how you feel about your record is your memory of making the record. And if it was like the if the anxiety was was did I not play enough? You're you're just not going to like what you like. If if there's anxieties there. You're not going to like as much as a yeah. producer. You let people have fun, even if you know it's all throwaway stuff, right? Because because th- that's what you want. You want them to remember. You want them to to think like the whole time they're making this record, this is fun. Yeah, that's what it should be fun. And I like the. I always come back to the idea that 
I need to, in some capacity, exhaust every idea I have. Like, even if it's a, even if for no reason, why would we mute the guitars there? I just want to hear what it sounds like with it muted because, yeah, because again, what I think you, with the analog world, like, you know, you work on a song all day, you got a mix going, you got your faders up, you got your EQs set up, you run a mix, you're like, sweet, take a picture of the board or whatever. You put your next, you take the tape off, you got working on the next song on a different tape, you put that tape on, and then you, you press play and you're hearing that song for the first time with a completely arbitrary set of faders and EQs. Right. Yeah. Right. And right. you're like, whoa, 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 I never heard this song before with the drums that loud oh, that's because cool. yeah. that's where the guitars were in the last song. Or I never heard the yeah. guitars with that much compression because that's where the right. drum bus was. And you're like, whoa, I never, never heard it like that. So let's actually go in that direction. With Pro Tools, you kind of lose that in some way. Yeah. Unless right. you can look at the whole thing and be like, can we just mute? Like, let's just make weird decisions. Because unlike a painting, you can always go back to your saved as. You know, you yeah. can make yep. drastic changes, but always not, you, can, you don't lose it, you know? Yeah. So you can make these big decisions and be like, let's just have fun and mute the drums for no reason. Yeah. And you'll be like, or mute them here. And you're like, that's actually kind of cool. I kind of like what that just did to the way I heard the song. I think um, the one thing that I was really aware of when I um, switched from tape to all just pure, you know, di mostly digital or, or records always ending up digitally was that I swear to God in the 1990s, like every s song recorded on tape, you know, had the person like talking at the beginning or like some weird noodly thing at the end, right. or feedback. And that yeah. was because like tape just made it. So you'd be like, you, you would sort of be like, keep that. Because yeah. it was there, and you were constantly hearing it again and again. And with Pro Tools, or with the digital sort of workstation processes, you just go in right away and you chop all that shit off the beginning. And right. then you, or you chop off silence in between stuff, and in the process you're like, oh, and I might as well take me talking out at the, at the beginning. Or that guy right. talking out, or, or the, the like stupid drum fill that Pat Berkeley played, you know what I mean, right. right before it started, you know? Exactly. And in some ways, like, there's something lost there. Yeah. Like, tape had a way of keeping that shit around. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You and know? I love that stuff. And, like, those little mistakes, or if they're not mistakes, or just little things that make it special. And you can get that in pro, you can get that in performance, too. Like, you know. Yeah. Like, um, you know, just pressing, you know, beginning of a song, some feedback you didn't expect. Yeah. That can happen in Pro Tools, but I think tape has such a character to it. Like, the sound of the tape starting, uh -huh. or something yeah. under the last take, and you hear the, you know... Yeah. That's the stuff you kind of like, that's the stuff personally I always like kind of wait for. Yeah. You can't really get it. You have to just wait for it to like reveal itself or something. But yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, I, I always sort of like to say like, you know, all these things we do, like we sort of do them as little goalposts in our minds so that we remember doing them. So like yeah. the, the odd weird thing, you just want to mark this moment in your brain. You right. don't want it to disappear as some like, you know, some humdrum like ritual thing that just happens five thousand times a day. You you want to you want to remember wh where you are. You know, right? You want yeah. it to be memorable, right? Not not memorable for other people to hear it. You want to he hear yourself doing something and remember that. Yeah, and, for sure. You know. Um, okay, so I want to I want to dive into some more like gear stuff. Cool. <laughs> I want to know what. 
what are the ones, what are the pieces of gear, the ones that got away? What are the ones where you're like, I just shouldn't have sold that? Do you turn over a lot of stuff? Do you have those things in your life where you're like, God, God damn it. That um, shouldn't. That- I have. Yeah. Now, okay. now I don't. Now I okay. won't sell anything. Um, so what happened? I mean, I'm, what, not never, but like. What lesson did you learn where you were like, never again? Well, I guess a never again one would probably have been. I lived in when before I moved to Philadelphia, two thousand two. Mm-hmm. I bought like a matchless two by twelve cabinet. Mm. It was just like an open back two by twelve matchless cabinet with two really nice Celestians in it. I bought it used for like three fifty, yeah. which is great. Yeah. It's a great two by twelve. Oh right? yeah. I would love to have that now because that yeah. That's just like a great. Cabinet. You know what I mean? I got right. it yeah. cheap. I, I think Daddy's Junkie Music, which is like a place in Boston. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, are you from Boston? Massachusetts, yeah. Okay. I'm from Rhode Island. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah so Daddy's. And, yeah. And um, uh-huh. sold that four months into living here for um, rent money. Yeah. How about recording gear? Any of that stuff? Recording gear? Um, not really, no. Yeah, you keep yeah. everything, I guess. I do keep everything, and I didn't really for so long. All I had was um, my digital eight track. Yeah, right. And um, that's what I kind of, you know, when I started yeah. getting interested in, I guess, recording in quotes. It was just me like playing into a tape recorder, right, and then playing it back and soloing over it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like not really recording the solo, but yeah. just like learning how to play like, with hear yourself and haven't taken an idea a little further. Right. And then I right. kind of bought that digital eight track in uh, 2000, I guess. Right. Um, and then I really used that exclusively up until 2006, 2007 when I bought the tape machine. Right. Mm. And I never, um, for so long, it wasn't until I guess last year, a year and a half ago that I bought like an API lunchbox yeah. and racked it up with some sweet stuff. And, oh yeah. yeah. What's in that again? I have a great river. The right. Great River preamp. I yeah. have an API 312. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's It's not like an original, but it's, it's someone took the cards out yeah. and made... Who, who, who? Some guy in D.C. I remember that, yeah. I yeah, have a bunch silver. of those cards. Right, no, yeah. yeah. It's great. It's, it's, um, I don't know if mine's different because my gain... I don't have a ton of gain on mine. Like, if I use this RU20 on that, it wouldn't I wouldn't enough. get anything. I'd have to turn it all the way. Hmm. Yeah. But with, like, a condenser, it's beautiful. Like, I put yeah. it on a drum overhead, and right. it's... A mono drum overhead. It sounds incredible. Yeah. Right. Really nice sparkle. And then I have one of those retro um, double wide tube compressors. Oh yeah. It's a mm-hmm. mono, but it's a double wide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I was better, see, I think the, what I've learned with that piece is that that's based on the 176. Yeah. Which is like kind of like a, one of those pieces of gear that if you have and you know how to use it right, yeah, then it's great. Yeah. But right. the the retro for me isn't great because I just need something. Like a normal compressor yeah. that I can like tap. Like I was, I borrowed a stressor and I was like, oh, this is more up my alley. Yeah. Because right. I can make an acoustic guitar really bright or I can slam yeah. a drum. The distressor is like, I, people, like we, we were at University Arts with Michael Johnson yesterday right. and, and he was like, I, I wanna, you know, tap you for like what, what kind of gear I should get for the program next semester or whatever. Yeah. And to me, the distressor is the thing just because n- no piece of gear has ever been as like, educational for me as that was because it just I understood compression after using it right it wasn't like it even now if I use an LA 2A 
I don't really know what's going on inside. For sure. There's something about the distressor that you you really quickly fami- are familiar with what you're doing and how that's affecting it and what you're going for, yeah. you know. And your gain staging and how it can right. affect. I think for a while when I started getting into gear, I always was like, oh, the distressor, that's the sound of modern rock drums, you know. Yeah. But when I actually borrowed one and used it on like a recording some friends I was like, oh my God, this is like, you can use it on acoustic and you can use it on whatever, anything. Yeah. Right. And it's just like, even just seeing those lights, it's like, oh, how many lights do I want for this track? You know? I yeah. find and like that really one helpful. light, like a yeah. little bit of light. You're like, all right, I am touching it, but it's just a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. with the retro for me, it's, the retro's great apparently on like bass yeah. and vo- like a vocal. Right. And I guess maybe a acoustic guitar. But I'm not, well, I'm not well versed enough in like what compression is to really know what I'm doing. Well, I think with the retro, well, I think for one thing with bass, if you're not, the, 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 the most difficult component for bass for anybody is how they're hearing it while they're recording it. Well, and if you yeah. don't have a good listening environment, right. you can get away with it for a lot of other things, but bass is a really particularly difficult one. And then the other thing is, same thing with, almost with vocal, because vocal, um, but, but, the, but the retro, I think that double wide is one of those things that for our purposes, like given that none of us, even even people, you know, who have like studios that we we love the gear and the gear, yeah. we're like all about that shit. I mean, I, I I don't think the retro double wide is one of those things that on your vocal you could just slam it. Right. I don't think you're gonna be like, oh, I I messed it up. That's the thing. Like like the 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 the, the pieces of gear that I've messed shit up with. Yeah. Are the ones that are super transparent, right? Right. So like the. What do you mean? The the the, the um, oh shit, what's it called? The um. Uh man. Uh, the STC eight. The um. Uh. I can't think of the name of the company who makes it. Crane Song. The Crane Song STC8 is this really complex stereo compressor that everybody loves because they say it's transparent. You can't hear it working. Yeah. It's just it does the end result thing that you want it to do. You don't hear that there's this thing inserted in the chain. It's just like everything's miraculously just right. And that's the shit where I actually mess things up. Right. Because I I I need to hear them working. Like right. I, I want to hear them working. Like I'm probably a, a LA2A has more in common with like a guitar effect, like pedal to me than it does with like something like that, you yeah. know, where you just want your end result to be perfect. Like that's not the thing. Well, it's part of it that for both of you guys that this gear needs to do its job. It's, you know, it's these certain things, these EQ, these compressors, all that stuff, but it also needs to have some level of character. Is it part of the character that you guys like also, you know, so you're almost like playing it or it's like, it's like in your chain. With gear or with we, recording gear? With recording gear. Um, I mean, you just using it just because it's a compressor, in which case you'd want something that's transparent or do you actually like the sound of that particular? With, um, I feel like I'm... S- more t- like less technical and more a student of like myth, like okay, like I remember, um, watching some video of like, you know, some like bootlegged Super Eight video of like Born to Run recording sessions, yeah, or reading somewhere that they use like the DBX one hundred and sixty on those twelve string electrics. Mm-hmm. So when I'm at Minor Street, my first inclination isn't to like think about do I really need to bust this. Guitar, do I need to compress this guitar bus? My first idea is like, let's put those 
chimey guitars through the 160. Yeah. That's what it is, right? That's, the 160 yeah. stereo. We have the 162, 162 but it's the same right. thing, yeah. I was like, let's, because I know that that's right. like a classic sound. I'm the same way. You know what I mean? Like, I know, I love like that rock myth, like recording yeah. myth. And even like watching that Doctors on the Edge of Town, I mean, obviously Bruce again, but that documentary they made and like seeing, being fascinated with how much studio footage there was, which I didn't think. So right. when I'm at Minor Street, I'm like, oh, you know, let's put a, let's put a six, let's put the 67 up on the twin. Yeah. Because right. that's like, I know that that's like a, that's I've what they were doing in the 70s. They yeah. were doing the 67 on the twin. Yeah. And that was just yeah. like a classic kind of goat. That's like a 57 on a deluxe now. You know what I mean? It's like, right. that's, put that on the twin. I think, I, I honestly, I mean, I really think that the, the, the approach that when people, we talk about this a lot actually, right. Peter, but like when people, actually try to give you the impression that they've got some brilliant thing in their brain and like they're just looking for the right like pieces of equipment and the right circumstances to get that perfect that ideal perfection like out of their brain into the world i think that's total bullshit yeah i mean i think i i actually think like right it's it's awesome to be inspired by a piece of gear you know what I mean? Like yeah, I, I remember when totally. when the first time we ever had a U forty seven, like Mike with uh, a classic education, we yeah. had that. We had the Gunter Wagner U forty seven. Right, he's this guy who storing up parts for fifty years and then has enough parts to make a hundred complete U, original U forty sevens, just like they were made back in the day. Yeah, all out of all original parts, and like you tell a person that, and then they sing into it, and they're, they're picturing like. Anybody they've ever seen singing into an actual U forty seven, and yeah, that's what inspiration's all about. That's I like that totally. I, I mean, I like I went to Echo Mountain in in Asheville, North Carolina, which is like one of my favorite studios, right? And I pretty much went there again twice. I went there once for Slave Ambient, and we recorded a song "Brothers" in an afternoon. I yeah. wasn't familiar with the studio. I read about it in Tape Op. We had a day off in Asheville. I was like, let's you know, we need to record more for this record. So we did "Brothers," and I remember singing into a Sony C37A yeah. straight into, I didn't know then, I knew what the mic was. I didn't know that I was singing to like the EMI Abbey Road preamp, but regardless, yeah, it was right, that mic. Right. And I always loved the vocal in that song. And so I went down again on this record. I was like, cause I want to use that microphone. Right. It wasn't like I wanted to use a tube mic. So I'm going to go, I'm going to spend $700 on a tube mic. I right. wanted to use that mic that I had used before right. and and then we were, you know, and we were, and it's fun to talk about signal chain. It's like, okay, so I'm going to use this mic. Let's use that EMI preamp. Yeah. That was at Abbey Road. And let's go into uh, these Fairchilds. Like, that's fun. You know I mean? It's just, yeah. it's fun if you're like. I agree. Because you know, because I guess it's fun if you can admit that it really doesn't matter as long <laughs> as the song or the idea is great. Like if you have a, a, a pure right. vision of your music or your song or your vocal then it, it, it's true. I mean, you could sing into an RE20 or you could sing into a tape recorder and be great. But if you want it to sound beautiful and you have like that vision, not the vision, but it's just the song or the performance is always going to be first. But right. it's yeah. fun to sweeten the deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's right. the sweetest part is like the yeah. song is, you know, I love this song. Let's And let's have fun with this classic gear. I mean, this is like, yeah. you know, well, it's the same reason I was like a hockey. When I played hockey, I wanted to be a goalkeeper. Because I got to buy the pads. Yeah, I you know what I mean. It's way. like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like I don't know. It's fun to like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, there's a there's an exploration 
there's a search and there's like a joy in that. That's part of the performance. Yeah. You know, like you're just, you're seeing what happens. Yeah. You know? And you're like, you know, you do, you you're in this game for a long time and yeah, you do read, read those stories about this piece of gear or this mic or, oh, this console was used on what records? Oh, let's, oh you have that console? You know, like, it's like yeah. your console. Like, yeah. That was used on some great records. Yeah. You know, it's like the mid-range on your board is a great crispy mid-range. Yeah. You know what totally. I mean? And it's like, oh, but this was also on... Talking Heads, you know? Yeah. It's right. like, oh, or so Madonna. cool. And that's like, in Madonna, <laughs> right. right. It's like and so cool. village like, people, God. Right. The coolest. Those records. It's not so much that like, whether or not, you know, analog technology or digital or whether or not you have a console, none of it really matters. It, it does sonically, I think. But at the end of the day, it's just, should you be, it should be fun too to like be in the studio and like, and yeah. like have classic pieces of gear. Yeah. You know, and like... Well, it's it's also cool to just know you're going through the same processes as people you admire, I, admire, or you right. identify with. Like you, you want to identify with like Bruce Springsteen at the age of twenty nine or thirty. Right. You know, you want that. Anybody would want that because yeah. that's like there's a mythology there, and and anybody wants to like have the 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 unique experience of of feeling like he possibly could have felt. And and right. for some people, it's like you see all the same equipment and you're 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 doing all the same stuff he was doing. That's how you do it. And yeah. I, and I think that's totally legitimate. You, you know, know, and we in mixing we were using we used a Universal Audio 175 tube yeah. compressor. I mean, that's like, you know, aren't that many of those out there. You know, there's probably a thousand of those out there. Yeah. And it'd be fun to like I try to get. track, you know, that's like the sound of the first two big star records like right. Like, who knows? Maybe that piece that was acquired through a friend from a broker, maybe that was at Ardent. Or maybe it yeah. was in Sunset. And, you know, you never know. It's like these pieces of gear of, like, these old pieces, the, the good stuff, that your LA-2A, like, have had a lot of beautiful stuff pass through it. Right. It doesn't mean that the magic is in there. But it's like these little, I don't know. It's like, there's not, it's like everything now is like there's just a million of everything. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's nice to surround yourself with pieces that are like, cherished and like have like you know are good enough that people have worked on them over the years i mean now it's like i throw you know, if i buy new stuff I buy like a new mixer for touring i just throw it in the trash at the end if it if a channel blows you know what i mean yeah but it's garbage <laughs> yeah but it's, it gets me to do it does what i needed to do for the time but i don't take right. it seriously yeah you know what i mean totally right. i'm like oh you your power supply is where there's it. something sacred about something that has history right. or not even if it, the history can be unknown it could be exactly like, you know but it's but that it made it this far yeah it means it's been important to a, a string of people potentially you know yeah in the tens or 20s or hundreds you know yeah so so i mean it is fun to like get into like the you know studio myth and and have fun with 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 the gear and and kind of Know what you're doing and it's inspiring. Yeah, it is inspiring. Yeah. You said that the idea always comes first though, right? You're you're like, now does that is the idea it, so so we were just talking about recording gear. Right. And that's a lot of stuff is sort of like this is the seconds after or the the exact moment after the performance leaves the human body or the instrument and ends up heading through other things or is being mixed through other things. Does do you feel <coughs> excuse me, are uh, well, I mean, I'm just curious about what you do love now, what you do love to play now, and has that changed over time? Do you find that like your tastes and interests are evolving, and sort of where are you now, and maybe compared to where you were? I play a lot more electric okay. guitar now than I did maybe five or six years ago. Okay, 
like in terms of just sitting around my room. Right. Like I have just an electric, a couple amps. Yeah. Like a champ. You know, I have a champ yeah. and another amp and some electric guitars that I pick up more than I pick up my acoustic. Right. Um, I love, I still love just having a coffee in the morning and playing piano for an hour on my right. little piano. Right. Um, that's never really changed. That's never really changed. Right. Um, the whole, like, you know, I really love playing a Rhodes as opposed to a Wurlitzer. I feel the same way. I, I know there's like that whole thing where I'm yeah. like, I'd like to get a Rhodes and people be like, oh, you know, I mean, Wurlitzers are cooler. I'm like, I, I know I, what a Wurlitzer is. I know. Man. I'm just I saying Rhodes for a they're reason. different. It's not, they're not comp, they're totally different instruments. Totally. I, I, I always just sort of hate when, the same thing, like, because forever we've had an amazing Rhodes. Like, I love your yeah. Rhodes. The best Rhodes yeah. I've ever played, we, I, 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 I own it, you know? And yet you get those people who'd be like, you know, they, they'd want to use a Wurlitzer. And, and you know, we didn't have one at the time, so I'd suggest, well, we do have this. And it wouldn't be like, in, you know, yeah. and it's better. But people would always take it the extreme opposite of like, I hate Rhodes pianos. Yeah. You know, it'd be like... You know what you're talking it's about? It's like hating a 12-string or something. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you, you just... You just <laughs> do, you go in the upper registers of a Rhodes, put that through like a Princeton or something. Oh, it's yeah. like... Like bells. I think the oh, thing about a Rhodes that's really cool is that the the variability of every single note, like you couldn't sample a Rhodes and just and just a single note and then just tra- you know transfer right. it no, up to right. scale because you know one or two or three keys have like a certain ping to them that's just because that's right. how that thing has landed enough times. Exactly. Whereas a, a Wurlitzer is a little bit more like homogenous yeah. across the keys. And I don't know. I, I love that about the the roads too. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's just a beautiful. It's such a nice like. I feel like the thing about the left hand and the right hand. The world serves maybe more of a left hand yeah. piano, and the roads is more of a right hand piano. That like, makes sense. You go up there on those higher red. It's just mm. beautiful, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um. But there isn't. I think I I still like to approach either writing or just playing in general or recording. With a lot of the same stuff that I've used, you know, like right. I still like using the 404 sampler. Yep. Um, I still like using the tape machine. I have Pro Tools on my lap. I have ten on my laptop. Yeah. And I like I like using Pro Tools. I'm getting better at it. Um, What's your interface like? How are you going in? I have like an Mbox Pro. Yeah. Like someone gave it to Dave. Actually, someone given it to Dave Hartley. Yeah. But. Because he had bought a new computer, but his new computer has firewall or whatever it's called. Um, Firewire. Fireport. No, Fire. not. Oh. Um, Thunderbolt? Thunderbolt. Yeah. Fireport. <laughs> Fireport. <laughs> yep. So Fireport, he, he didn't yeah. work for him, so he let me use it. This is like a year and a half ago. Yeah. So that's, it's fine. Like, yeah. It's probably, you know, I'd like to, like next record, I'd like to invest in some interfaces. Because I will, I like using, I mean, the whole record was started on my tape machine. Yeah. Transferred in once, and then it was all in Pro Tools. Yeah, okay. I mean, in the past, I used to like go back and forth. Work, yeah, like transfer a stereo mix from Pro Tools onto fresh tape, do a bunch of half baked ideas at home, bring them back to the studio, be like, let's transfer them back in. You got to line everything up again. I mean, we're transferring them sixteen at a time, but phase between yeah. two machines and let alone two different transfer periods. So I knew I didn't want to work like that again. So yeah. But I, I mean, I love working in, and I love like, I guess going back to that first thing is being able to sit at night and have that original idea, have the song pretty much figured out, yeah. lay a drum machine down, 
put a piano and a guitar and some vocals and some electric guitars and really have that moment like figured out on on tape and then transfer into the computer and be able to like manipulate that you know and be able to keep that without having to lose it all together or keeping elements of that or you can be like you know what let's actually you know in the moment i wish i had done one more chorus so let's just grab a chorus you know yeah it's all in time easy Easy, right and we can do and i i mean i do that like i'm not like you know a purist in that way like i've done that a a thousand times and i love that i can do that you know it's actually it's funny it's reminding me this kind of what you're talking about is reminding me of is um talk talk spirit of eden oh my was my favorite record it's like my (laughs) one of my favorite records yeah but it was you know it was recorded with a two-inch machine but they he you know the uh what's his name mark hollis no brown phil brown phil brown um you know would transfer and keep everything on like an early digital reel-to-reel Mitsubishi, like you know, thirty-two track reel-to-reel tape machine. Right. And there was, I mean, imagine doing it's—it's it's exactly the process you're talking about, but having to do it not in Pro Tools, but with like well, that's that th- stuff, right. You know? I mean, that's funny when they people when you read those books and they're like, oh, it took us two years to make a record. They're like, what could you do for two years? Well, they probably did a week of recording and then like had like pages of edits to be done. Yeah. So you got to come back in a week because they can't do you know. Yeah. yeah, you got to have interns or whoever cut tape and splice tape, and right, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, I mean that guy. You know, his wife was like, "If you ever work with that band again, we're getting a divorce." Yeah, and then he was like, "Okay, noted." And then they made the one after that. Was it? Um, <laughs> yeah, la- uh, laughing, laughing stock. stock right, yeah. and then I don't know what happened, but I imagine he got divorced. I yeah. think he probably did. But, <laughs> probably not just because of that record. I am right. I mean, there was the stories that he wrote. Did you read that Phil Brown book? Yeah, yeah. Then, like, I, I, I read it all in tape op when it was right. Yeah, you know when they were letting it out bit yeah. by bit. Like, you know, sitting in the control room listening to like a three second loop of the AC thirty for ten hours. I mean that's what's that's the myth of it. Like who knows right. how much of that, you know, with like a disco ball going or yeah. or like a lava lamp. Exactly. You yeah. can hear the lava lamps, you know, yeah. for sure. But yeah. um but that's you know, it's that's the modern technology is a beautiful thing. And it's not analog is no better or worse or digital is no better or worse. It's like just ways finding the best way that you can capture your idea and then finding the best way that you can do what you want with it, you know? Yeah. And I think that sounds like, and maybe the struggle is just to keep it alive, you know, not, not to lose, not to lose the sight of what you originally felt in the first place. Right. Which is what, you know, back to what you were saying earlier, yeah. you know? Yeah. Which is like the reason for the, you know, potentially like probably four albums of, Outtakes, of right? War on Drugs records, <laughs> yeah. That could that could be assembled someday, yeah. You know, yep, yeah. Cool. Well, all you right, know. man. Thank you for coming. It was a blast. I yeah. uh, love love you guys, and obviously, uh, love talking about gear. Yeah. yeah, man. Well, we'll make sure we find more time to do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, thanks, man. Thank you. Wow. What a great interview. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, it's been such a great pleasure to see Adam's star on the rise, mm-hmm. hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Weathervane podcast is a production of Weathervane Music and was edited by Matthew R. Poyer. We extracted theme music from mixed stems of the song Lolita that uh, Adam produced for the Pearling Hiss episode of Shaking Through and from the song New Skin from the Torres episode 
which Adam also played guest guitar tracks on. You can check out both episodes at weathervanemusic.org slash shaking through. Your hosts are me, Brian McTeer, and our bearded friend, Peter English, of the forthcoming podcast, The Long Play. You can find out more about The Long Play at thelongplaypodcast.org. Thanks for doing this, Peter. Thank you for having me, Brian. <laughs>